0: Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday Sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Well, listen, for you guys that don't know me, I'm the kind of pastor that... Uh, truly believes that genuine discipleship happens best within the confines or the context of community. Now, because I believe that wholeheartedly, I've been really pumped and really excited about what God's been doing in the church for about the past, I don't know, about six, seven, eight, nine months or so. And and here's why I've been so excited, because without a doubt, for those who have decided to step in with their whole heart, uh, there's been a real acceleration, that's the word I keep hearing, a real acceleration in their lives that comes into air. And the first one is this. It's in spiritual growth. How many guys that's a great place to have some acceleration and the second place that there's been acceleration happening in people's lives is in the area of community or we can even say authentic relationship. Now for you guys that have been here and you've been experiencing this kind of spiritual growth. I I just simply want to encourage you today. I know you already know this, but I want to come back behind you and just reinforce it. And that is this that transformation is not instantaneous. That transformation is not instantaneous. In other words, uh, if we want real, if we want lasting, if we want real spiritual maturity, maturity, it's going to take time, right? That there's no shortcuts available for us if we want to grow in the kingdom. Now, if I could give you a simple illustration and maybe explain why I'm saying that, it would be this. You know, obviously, the season's kind of changing here. It can't really make up its mind, right, if it's going to snow or if it's going to go into spring. But, hey, here we are. So, anyways, as we change the season, how many of you guys know that weeds grow really fast? Like, literally, if you're a garden person, weeds grow really fast. But mature trees that bear fruit and that are strong enough to weather storms take time to grow. Amen? So with that thought in mind, the Bible tells us in uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, it simply says this, that God has called you and he has called me to be trees, to be oaks of righteousness. Which means this, if we're going to be the type of believers who are actually rooted enough to withstand the storms of life, if we're going to be mature enough to bear fruit in due season, then we must continue to faithfully and consistently pursue things that will help us grow. How many of you guys know it's really easy to be consistent faithful in things that don't help us grow? To pursue those things. But we need to pursue things that will help us grow in the faith. Amen? So listen, I just want to encourage you guys. If that's you, once again, my encouragement to you today is keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. I know it's human nature to kind of press in for a minute and then kind of get lax. Press in for a minute, kind of get lax. And so what I'm trying to say is, man, let's, let's just keep the, the foot on the gas and let's keep pressing in. And I just believe if we can do that and trust God in the process and be patient with ourselves in the process, we'll be blown away by what God will do. Amen. Because if we consistently engage with him, he'll help us grow at the rate he wants us to grow. And uh, it won't go any faster or any slower. We just got to give it our all. Amen. And he'll do his part. So, all right, so let's turn our attention to the second part there and, and where, where, where we are experiencing acceleration in the church, and that is in community or alternate relationship. This is where I really want to sit today. i got to be honest with you. Seeing this acceleration as a relational guy, this really excites me. And the reason it really excites me is this, is because like uh, Jennifer and I, you know, we, we got four and a half kids, right? And, and, we got, and we got three dogs, and we got a fish that's hanging on for his dear life. It's a miracle that he's alive. I don't even know if we feed the thing, to be honest with you, but, but, but hey, good job. But he's alive. And uh, anyways, and I'm just glad we hadn't graduated to like, you know, I don't know, guinea pigs and, and uh, you know, whatever, parakeets and all that. Anyway, so, so my point is this, is as much as we uh, have a heart to connect with people and be relation with folks, the reality is, is we only have so much time in the day, and so what 's been really cool to see is is to see our heart begin to move in other people and it's begin to create this this uh, culture of community and it 's been so cool to watch people hop into that and to watch them grow and enjoy the benefits of it that's all I 'm saying okay so with that in mind let me let me tell you what I feel compelled to tell you today and that is this is that uh, we don't need to make the mistake, even though we're enjoying all this, to think that actually, that guess what? The devil is going to roll over and play dead and just let us enjoy our spiritual growth and let us enjoy the community and the benefits of it. He's not going to do that. And the reason is because it's not his nature. Yeah. Right. Now, thankfully, the Bible tells us that even though the enemy's not going to roll over and play dead, the Bible actually says that he, 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 there's a chance that he won't outwit us. Right? That that he won't get one over on us. And the reason is because the Bible says in Second 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 that we can actually be familiar, we can know the schemes, the plans, the devices of the enemy. How many of y'all know that's cool? Right? In other words, that God will actually speak to us and let us know what the enemy's up to so we're not caught off guard. Okay? And so I just simply want to say this kind of what we're talking about today is is it's really cool that God's moving, really cool that God's doing this thing in so many people's lives. Once again, those who have stepped in, but 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 I want you to know today that, man, if we don't guard our hearts and if we don't protect what God is doing, then there's a chance that we that what we're enjoying right now can end. I'm making sense. So for the next few minutes, what I actually want to do is I want to talk to us. I just want to remind us what God desires for us to have as a community of believers. And then I want us to turn our attention to actually show us how the enemy wants to interfere with what God wants to do. And so for the sake of context, for the sake of foundation, I want to back up and I want to establish one thought and we'll run from there. So if you can, let's turn our attention to John chapter 1, verse 12. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. It says this, it says, but to all, that's us, right? But to all who believed him, who's him? It's Jesus. And accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. God. I love this verse. So often we look at it as in just the context of salvation, but I actually believe the deeper meaning here is even this, is that it really doesn't matter if you're from Alabama, if you're from Florida, right? Or if you're from Maryland, or if you're from Wherever you're from, New York, whatever, go around the list, Kentucky, you know, whatever, from Maine. It doesn't really matter if we live in Camden, Warren, Lincolnville, uh, you know, Rockland. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, man, if we have accepted Jesus, what he is telling us here is that we all have the same Heavenly Father. Right? In other words, we're all brothers and sisters if we like it or not. And at the end of the day, we are all part of this thing that God calls family. We are part of the family of God. And so I want you to understand that today when you walk through those doors, and if you call this place home, if this is your home church, man, then it's not just, oh, I go to church there. No, 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 no. God sees us as family, right? And so we have to ask, okay, if God sees this family, then how does he want us to operate as a family? He actually tells us the answer to that in Psalm 133. He says this, says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers, the family of God, sisters, right? To dwell together in unity. Can somebody say unity? Unity. Watch this. And the writer goes on to tell us this, says unity is like the precious oil of consecration poured out on the head, coming down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron coming down upon the edge of his priestly robes, consecrating the whole body. I love how unity will actually help us be consecrated. And then it says this, it says, it is like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down on the hills of Mount, uh, sorry, of Zion, hills of Zion, for there, where's there, it's where unity is, says the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Come on, I want us to grab a hold of this today, that God wants us as his family to live in unity. And he actually said that when we do, guess what, he'll release his blessings over our lives. So just out of curiosity, is there anybody in here that says, man, I wouldn't mind having the blessings of God in my life? Yeah, amen, like five of us. Amen, that's so good. Man, I want the blessings of God in my life. And I just think this, if we want the blessings of God, then we have to stop viewing unity as a thing, and we need to start viewing it as the thing. Let that sink in. Because in the Bible, it's not a thing, it is the thing, because God is a God of unity. Amen? Amen. So listen, I think so often in church, you know, it's so easy. People quote Psalm 133 and they act like that. That's some isolated verse that's in the Bible that that is just like an isolated truth. Yeah, God's family. He wants us to live in unity. Awesome. But I want you to realize today that God's family living in unity, uh, that idea actually runs through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So we see this in other verses like this. I'll throw a few at you just to get the wheels rolling. He said this, that if one can put a thousand to flight, then two can put 10,000 to flight. He even said this, that two are better than one. If you're married, you better say amen. Okay? He said this, he said, how can two walk together unless they are in agreement? He said, and the two, talking about marriage, shall become one and let no man split what God has put together. He said, if two of you agree on anything in prayer, the Father will do it. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. We know that 120 were in the upper room, and the Bible says they were in one accord. Then we know this, for as the body is one and has many members, we are still one body. Paul also wrote this. He said, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, all those are good, but focus on the last one because this is what Jesus prayed before he left this earth. He actually prayed this, that you and I, that we would become one just as he and the Father are one. Are you seeing this theme here? Are you seeing this thread literally from Genesis to Revelation? Now, the bottom line of what I'm getting at, and I hope you're grabbing a hold of this, is that God values unity. And because he does, guess what? So should we. Amen? So if I can maybe pause for a commercial break here for a moment, because listen, I, I realize we live in a day and age where the word unity goes out and it gets really convoluted. There's a lot of confusion right now around what the word unity really means. And, and so I just want to say mainly two portions of things, just kind of hope that clarity will come to us. So let me start by saying this. When I say God values unity and so should we, I'm not talking about conformity, okay? Okay. This is what religion does. Religion tries to make everybody look the same. You ever been to one of those churches? It's like, you know, the doors open, everybody leaves, and everybody looks the same. It's kind of weird, right? And so what religion says is this, is if you don't talk like me, if you don't dress like me, if you don't act like me, then I can't accept you. Now, the reason that doesn't capture the heart of unity is because God's word makes it really clear that we've all been uniquely made that's something we should celebrate. In other words, in other words, in our variety and in our diversity, there's really unity, yeah. right? And, and so he even goes on to say this, that we've all been given different gifts. He even says that we all have a unique purpose and unique assignments, which allow us to do what? They allow us to actually display or reflect different facets of who God is to the world. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is that biblical unity will never be found in some assembly aligned production mentality. We're not not all clones. Anybody say, thank God for that. In other words, I could say it this way. Larry Randolph talks about how God has made us an original breath. And he says that the church is suffering from sameness. So to understand what happens is, 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 you know, one guy's the leader and he tries to say, to tell everybody, you got to imitate me. And that person becomes an echo or an imitation of them. And then she becomes, uh, you know, an imitation of her. And along the line, what happens is, is we lose our originality in who God made us to be. Because we're all just trying to be somebody else. The goal is to be like Jesus. Amen. 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 So listen. While you have that, this is when I really want to grab a hold of. Because at the same rate, biblical unity, guys, is not all embracing either. Now, hear what I'm about to say. There's this modern day teaching in the church, which I believe is really heresy, that has thrown out God's standard of morality. It's thrown out God's standard of character, God's standard of integrity, all for the sake of quote unquote unity. In other words, what it says, if we're going to walk in this whatever, pseudo, whatever thing of unity, then we have to accept everyone's lifestyle and everyone's choices. Y'all heard this? Watch this. But that, I want you to know, it's false unity. And here's why I'm saying it's false unity. is because God is the creator. Okay? And, And the bottom line is, is he's the one that defines unity, not man. And what's happening is, is, because the church as a whole doesn't pray, doesn't seek God, doesn't know the Word, guess what? We don't understand what God's really said, and so we pursue what the world says is unity, and we're being deceived. Yes? yes? So, so listen, so I don't know whatever comes to your mind when you hear this, but I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Because here's why I think we're being deceived, is because truthfully there's this confusion around this one idea, okay? And it's this, that God has called us to love everyone but he hasn't called us to accept everyone's sin. Okay? And so what people say is, well, if you're going to love people and if you're going uh, you know, to be like Christ, then you have to accept all that. Well, where's that at in the Bible? It's not there. I've read it plenty of times. It's not there, right? And, and so the reason I believe this teaching isn't correct is because all godly, all godly unity, once again, is grounded in the truths of God's word. So anything beyond those truths, an attempt to include someone else, is to compromise what we know to be true. Yes. Right? To put it plainly, and I hope you're catching my heart here, because I'm not mad or angry at anybody, just passionate about this, right? Is to put it plainly is that we should never unify among obvious sin. We don't unify around obvious sin, right? Because if we realize it or not, watch this, when we come into agreement, in other words, when we unify our hearts with another person's sinful lifestyle what happens is is we actually step out from under uh... or let me say it this way we actually step out of unity with god right in other words it's impossible to be in unity with god in his word and his spirit and be in unity with the world the two don't match right and so what happens is is if i am in unity with god and then i start hearing what we hear on tv all the time or what we see on social media i go well maybe that might be true because i don't know the bible so i do this i step over there because i think that's unity Right? What happens is as soon as I make that step, I come out from under the covering of God. Yes. And that's a really dangerous place to live. Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. So, listen, if you're having a hard time maybe hearing what I'm saying, I just want you to maybe go, man, th- ask yourself, does God take this serious? I believe the answer is a 1,000% yes. Okay? And, and I want to just encourage you to remember what the Bible says in First Corinthians 5. Let me paint a picture for you really quick. Uh, basically, Paul... Uh, he hears, I think he had a letter wrote, written to him, but he heard that there was a man in the Corinth church, or church of Corinthians, church of Corinth, Let am set right, that, that was there that was actually sleeping with his stepmother. And you're like, wow. Now, here's what took Paul to a whole nother level. It was the fact that he said this, it's not that you are aware of it, he said it's the fact that you're basically boasting about it. Like you're bragging that this dude is sleeping with a stepmom. In other words, let me put in modern day language, that they begin to unify and accept that person's sin and thought it was all okay. And what did Paul tell them? If we read the book, it simply says this that Paul said, hey guys, you need to toss that joke around on the curb. You need to throw him him out of the church. Why? Not because I don't love him. He said this, because we love him, our hope is is that there'll be what? Destruction to his flesh. In other words, he'll step out from under the covering and literally he'll begin, the the devil will come, have his way with him. And what will happen is hopefully he will wake up, he will turn around to his senses and he will repent and he'll come back. Why? For the saving of his soul. Destruction of the flesh for the saving of his soul. Right? Now, here's what's funny. In the church today, we, we want to go uh, like this. Here's what the Bible says. Eh, no, we don't want that one. Oh, yeah, we'll keep that one. We'll keep, Yeah, that's good. That, mm, no, because I've been watching TV. Ah, We've got to get rid of that one. Okay. And we pick and choose. But, but look, let me, let me just say something, because obviously I know I'm not Apostle Paul, but I am the pastor of this church. So let me put it in some perspective for us. Let's say this. Let's say, let's say while we were in worship, we find out that, uh, that Wes over here. Sorry, Wes, I know it's not your nature. But, uh, but, but that Wes is actually prowling around in everybody's cars while we're worshiping. <laughs> we're, we're singing, and he's Stephen. And how many of you guys know that if I knew that he was doing that, and I just said, hey, guys, we all know that Wes is doing it, but it doesn't matter. We love him. Now, now, how would that make y'all feel? Would y'all feel like I'm a good pastor and it's a safe place to be? No. Let's even go a step further. Let's say some guy comes in and we know that he is a predator. Okay? And he's going after our kids. Well, let's just love him. It's okay. Look, I'm all for somebody's redemption. Okay? But we're going to use wisdom in the process. Yes. Amen? And my point is this. is It's amazing how, because we drink the Kool-Aid... How we go over here, we go, you know, well, that one is acceptable and that one's not. No, 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 read the book. He didn't say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, no, no, it's in there. So let's live biblically. Amen? Am I making sense to y'all? Am I being too hardcore for y'all? Doesn't really matter to me today, to be honest with you. Look, the Bible's the Bible. Amen? Amen. All right, so, so watch this. He doesn't just stop there. Paul goes on and says this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, if a person calls himself a believer and is still actively engaging in sexual sin, greed, the worship of idols, and is a drunkard or a liar, then we shouldn't even eat a meal with that person. in the, the modern day church say, that's not love. I think Paul wrote Corinthians chapter 13. That's the love chapter, by the way. It's the same dude. Same Holy Ghost moving through him, telling him to write. Amen? All right, so before we hit the play button, because you remember we're on commercial break. um, Anyways, before we get back to it, I just want you to know that in my opinion, the all-inclusive doctrine that's being taught in many circles of Christianity today is nothing more than a tactic of the enemy to cause confusion in the body of Christ. Once again, if we don't know the word, it's really easy to not only deceive us, but to confuse us as well. And what happens is if he gets confused, what it does is, is it muddies the water so much that, uh, guess what, that we begin to have division among us. Because he's smart. He knows that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so if he can get us bickering and fighting and disagreeing on things, in other words, arguing over stuff that Scripture clearly says, then guess what, he can get us divided and he wins. Amen? All right, so play. Let's ask a question. If those things aren't biblical unity, then what is biblical unity? We need to know that if we're going to do life together. So listen, in my opinion, biblical unity is this. It is when we lay aside all the areas that are up for interpretation in the Bible. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a minute. There's loads of things that are not up for interpretation of the Bible, like what we've been talking about. But then there are areas that are up for interpretation, right? And I'll say this, I'll throw some of them at you just because it's where the church tends to uh, get sideways with one another. It's like, do we believe in predestination or not? Do we believe in basically an eternal security or not? It means once saved, always saved. Or do we say, you know what? Well, women can preach or no, they can't. Well, we believe the gifts of the spirit in operation or no, they're not. Right. Those are the things that are kind of up for interpretation that this guy right here is not going to make that much of a big deal out of it. I did it one time. I won't now. Right. Because when you come to a place, a state that doesn't have many Christians, you kind of throw out your bias, pet doctrines. And you're just glad somebody knows Jesus. Great place to say amen. Because there are not many of us. All right. So listen. Biblical unity occurs when we lay aside all the areas that are up for interpretation in the Bible. And we come together around the common faith, the common hope, and the common love that's anchored into the death, burial, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. In other words, what am I trying to say to you today? If somebody doesn't believe that the word of God is God breathed? that all of it's from God, right? They say, well, in parts of it, I'm divided with you. If they don't say that Jesus shed his blood for the saving of man's soul, I can't, I can't get in agreement with you, right? If you don't believe Jesus is the son of God, if you don't believe he's returning, I can't get in agreement with you. But if you believe those things, oh man, let, let's charge hell with a water pistol. I don't care. Let's do it, right? And so watch this. This is a really neat thing I want to see. And this is where I want to maybe get some traction in or something. It's when we begin to be unified with those areas that we just talked about around those things that are really important, right, the gospel, then I believe it becomes our joy to do life through what the Bible calls the one another's. And you see, in true biblical unity, this is what's found. Once again, it's the one another's of the New Testament. It's where we learn how to love one another as Christ loved us. We learn to encourage or to build one another up. We learn to actually serve one another. In other words, we have a heart of hospitality. That we learn how to give to one another as needs arise. In other words, we are a gen we are marked by being a generous people, right? That we know how to serve one another, right? That we know how to give to one another. We know how to honor one another. In other words, we know how to value one another. That we know how to be tenderhearted and kind towards one another. That we even know how to forgive one another. We know how to bear one- with one another's burdens, right? We know how to carry. In other words, I'll say it this way. That requires us to care right to carry one another's burdens that we actually say you know what we're going to confess our sins to one another man that's where it gets authentic and real right until you're willing to get down the mud with somebody and go man here's my junk because most people hide okay we say i'm done hiding why because i need somebody to pray for me that last one because i need to be healed Amen. So I just think this when you go down and look at those one and others that's in the Bible, man, that's where true biblical community, true unity, where the true family of God, uh, where that's found and what it's supposed to look like. Can I hear a good amen? Amen. All right. So let's shift gears. Okay. this is the part that I've went. You know what I I have wanted to share for a while. Okay. Um, so I want to I want to talk about the number one thing that knocks you and I out of unity, okay? Jesus told us what it is. This is huge, and I believe this is gonna hit home for every single person. Jesus told us this in Luke 71. He said, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible. Somebody say impossible. impossible. It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It's about to get real. <laughs> Notice that Jesus says it is impossible to live this life without having an opportunity to be offended. So if we believe that's true, then guess what, guys? There's a great chance that every person in this room has either been offended, is currently offended, maybe what you heard today, right? Or you will be offended soon, (laughs) right? Just hang in there. Give it a moment. It's going to happen, right? In other words, if we believe because Jesus said it is impossible to live this life, without being offended now how do uh you know offenses normally enter into our lives Chris can you come here really quick yep you Kentucky come here Kentucky just stand over there man don't get too close to me okay but (laughs) you put down your stuff so watch this how do offenses normally enter into our lives okay so listen What happens is there's another person in the family of God. Like, man, we're enjoying life. We're doing life together. Man, we are iron sharpening iron, right? We're growing together. Man, we're praying together. We're doing all these things, and we're just, man, we're doing it. It's authentic community, right? And then one day what happens is, is guess what? He disappoints me, right? That somehow, man, I had some expectations, and he doesn't meet them. I'm trying to tell you how offenses come in your life, okay? And then what happens, or maybe it's like this. Maybe he told me he was going to do something, and he didn't go, you know, he didn't follow through with his word, man, so he broke a promise with me. Now I'm offended, right? Or maybe he lied about me. Man, I was talking to Wes, and I found out he li- he'd been running his mouth about me. Man, that wasn't even true, right? Or then I found out that maybe he, maybe he did something to me, and i just like, man, I didn't appreciate that. Bro, that was rude. Right. Or maybe one day he says, you know, he gets up the guts and he wants to tell me that there's something in my life that's wrong. And I'm like this. It doesn't matter, really. Come on, y'all. Talk to him here. It doesn't matter if it's really right or wrong what he's saying. If he didn't wrap that that whatever his complaint is his, his uh, discrepancies, whatever in, in love, then guess what? I can't receive it and I get offended. Right. Or maybe he betrays me. Maybe he gossips about me because he talks behind my back. Maybe he rejected me for some reason. Maybe he, I, you know, I come to find out, man, this dude's been using me for his own benefit. Or maybe he hurt someone I love. Man, he said something about my wife. He said something about my kids. And now, I'm, you know, he didn't do anything to me. But man, I'm offended because you offended them. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Come on, somebody. That's the best thing you said all day. Listen, but the main thing I want to see is this. Is more often not, this is what I feel like Jesus wants to say. So listen is that when any of those things happen to us or to someone we love, we often respond by getting our feelings hurt and we become angry, right? And when two, those two things happen and they're unresolved in our hearts, sooner than later we will become what? Bitter and offended right and if we realize or not when those things are left unresolved in other words i can't come to a place of, of peace nothing's reconciled i man i'm just stuck in that place then the inevitable happens and it's this is that when he does any of those things right there he disappoints me i find myself emotionally going you know what i'm putting a brick down oh he said that about me oh that's another brick and then what happens is because we all do this i start replaying that thing in my mind and man that thing's like multiplying Right, And sooner or later, what happens is, is between me and Chris, I have emotionally built a wall, right? Brick by brick, and now we've become divided. Thus, we've lost our unity. Yeah. Right? Like, my heart is cold to him now. I got nothing for the guy. We used to be like this. Hey! And I'm like yeah. I see him at the Walmarts. Right? <laughs> I see him at Walmart, and I'm like this. Whoa, I ducked down that aisle. Don't act like you've never done that. <laughs> Listen, but here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you, to whoever your Chris is, maybe if you could just take for a moment and set aside that offense, that maybe for a moment you can take your eyes off that person who offended you and, and forget about the wall that's in between you. Like, like maybe... If we do that, we could dig a little deeper into what Jesus actually told us in Luke 17. And here's what I want us to see. The word for offense that he used actually means this. Some of you guys already know this. It means basically a trap, okay, bait to a trap or a trigger to a trap, okay? A trigger or bait for a trap. And so if we realize it or not, every one of those things that hurt us, offended us, wounded us, whatever, all those things we just mentioned, uh, guess what? They are nothing more than just triggers or baits that will tempt us to be offended. Yeah. Y'all follow me? So so I just think with that in mind, we have to ask ourselves, like, like who in the world would ever want to set this trap where I get offended with Chris? Like we have to ask, does God want that? No, the Bible actually tells us in Proverbs 6, and you can also look in Proverbs 16, but it talks about in chapter 6 that there's six things that the Lord hates. And at the bottom of the list, it's this. It's basically a brother who causes division in the body. Okay, that's kind of my own twist, my own tr- translation of it, but that's what it says. Okay, so, so what happens is, is this, is that I go, well, well, would God want that? And then I go, you know what? Well, man, does Chris really want that? Like, is it really Chris's heart? To hurt me like that. Or do I actually believe that Chris has good intentions? And the bottom line is, guess what? He's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Life just gets messy. Right? I haven't, listen, I don't have a person I would call true friend. And not just friend, but man, they've become family over the years that I haven't had to to work through tearing down a wall. Right? I'm telling you, I got some great friends. But man, there's been some difficult spots in those relationships. So, So listen, if it's not God and if it's not Chris, then man, who might want to set that trap, that put a little bait on there? Who might want to put that there for me? It's the devil. Yeah, Satan, Lucifer, Slewfoot, whatever you want to call him, right? Listen, it's the devil, right? And, and I just think this, like, man, like, why would the devil want to do that? But please understand that when you begin to have authentic community with someone and someone begins to help you grow, right, the devil doesn't like that. So listen, we, we quote all the time, John 10, 10, right? For the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But to understand, it's not just your life, but it's also relationships that, guess what? That would help you grow. And it's relationships, what? That would allow you to experience the benefits we talked about earlier of community, the one another's, right? Let me give you another reason why I believe the enemy sets a trap of a fence for us. Just hang in there, buddy. It's because this, it's because he knows the power of unity. We said it earlier, one can set 1,000 flight, two can set 10,000 a flight, that when we get together and we pray, oh, holy smoke, something's coming. Right? And to understand that, guess what? I believe that Satan is scared to death of what might happen if the body of Christ actually began to walk, pray, and minister together in a spirit of unity. Right? And so once again, what does he do? He does his best to offend us, divide us, so we build a wall. And if he can build a wall, what happens is he is successful in rendering us ineffective and powerless. So if you don't believe me, let me give you a verse here really quick. I hope you're okay today. But listen, Genesis eleven six. 6, God said this about a bunch of heathens, about a bunch of unbelievers. It's what? It's the Tower of Babel. He said, look, see what man can accomplish if they come into agreement, unity, with one purpose of mind. There's nothing that they can't do. So let's, let's remove that from the world real quick. And in fact, let me just say this. We've seen that in operation in our country in the last year. Okay. For demonic purposes. Now let's bring that over into the church. Man, what in the world could happen if we actually got in unity and got a single mind and purpose and we actually begin to listen to the Holy Ghost and begin to move and step with how, what he's wanting to do. Imagine what we could accomplish, right? But we're too busy fighting about all these little things and the devil's winning. Yes. Listen, let me give you another reason. Is because, listen, I've been in ministry long enough, y'all. I have seen so many people, like Chris, uh, get on fire for God. I'm talking about God is moving, and we would just say the move of God's happening all in him. And what happens is, is it goes a month, two months, three months, four months, five months. It goes a year, year and a half. And then somebody in the church offends him. And that move of God that was happening in his heart goes, and it's at a dead standstill. And he's no longer moving. And now what happens typically is that guy will start backing up slowly and then you'll see him kind of fade away. And then, and, and then what happens, usually a crisis happens and they come back and then they'll repeat that theme because they don't ever get healed from the first one. Seen it way too many times. So watch this. So my point is, is why would the devil want to somehow cause division? It's because once again, he is trying to stop the move of God in our hearts. Okay. And not only this, think about marriages for a second. Marriage is going great and offense fence comes up. We're not doing great anymore. Most time we get over and we keep moving, but then another one comes. Typically, it's the last one that we didn't resolve. Same thing, right? right? And, and so it stops the move of God even in our relationship with our spouse. Bring that to a family. Guess what? God is moving in the family. We see, man, God's answering prayers. He's doing things. And then somebody gets offended. Aunt Pookie gets offended, right? And she runs her mouth and says this and says that and <sighs> Now Thanksgiving's awkward, Christmas is awkward, right? The move of God is stopped. And watch this, if that can happen in an individual's life, if it can happen in a couple's life, it can happen in a family's life, then surely it can happen in a church as well, right. Right. right? Everything's moving, we're going great, and then people start getting offended, and the move of God is stopped. That's why I'm addressing what I'm addressing today, because God's moving, and we need to guard our hearts, and we need to protect what God is doing. Yes. Amen? Amen? Y'all give this guy a hand. If Jesus says that it's impossible, impossible for us to live this life without being offended, then surely he came along with that and said, Hey, guys, let me give you a few things that will help you, you know, get out of the trap when you find yourself in it, that will help you tear down that wall when you've built it. Let let me give you a few things when you get offended that will help you get free and stay free. Just maybe he did that, right? Let me give you really quick four keys to maintaining unity. I'm going to go fast. This is four keys to maintaining unity or four keys to getting free and staying free from offense. First one, I believe it's found in this verse. Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep the oneness or the unity. Did y'all just hear that? Make every effort to keep the oneness or the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And it says this, each individual, that's everybody in this room, working together to make the whole successful. How many of y'all know that's a great verse? So listen, according to that verse, the first key to actually maintain unity is number one, is that we would learn to value relationships more than we desire to be right. That we would learn to value relationships more than we desire to be right. Come on, don't go sleep on me today, okay? Listen, that I think that when we actually begin to make every effort to keep unity, then what happens at that moment is we choose to love the person more than we hate the offense. Right. So often, listen, the reason we, we, that we can't get over offense is because we're too stuck on wanting to be right. Right. But, but to understand for this to happen, you got to lay down your right to be Right. Yes, right. It's a mate. Listen, at at the core of every offense, guys, there is pride and ego. At everyone, okay. So I just think this once again: if we're going to if we're going to get free and stay free, we got to start valuing the people around us more than our own opinions and more what we think is right. Amen. Why? Because the goal is the bond of peace. Amen. Second key is found in Ephesians four thirty one. It says this: Lay aside bitter words. Temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. So listen, according to that verse, the second key to unity is this. is man, we need to stop talking about it. We need to stop talking about it. It's pretty straightforward. If I can add, not just talking about it, but thinking about it, right? And the reason is because as long as we talk about the offense and think about the offense, man, we keep that thing stirred up. In fact, listen, did you know that scientists say that when you get together with someone and you go, ba again, this happened 20 years ago. That person, did da 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 don't act like you've never done it, because we all have. Right? And we say what, say what someone did to us. The truth is is you've already told them 15 times anyways. They, they've seen that movie so many times, give them a break. You know what I'm saying? Reruns do get old after a while. Every movie's not, not, not uh, Nacho Libre. That's all I'm going to say. It just never gets old. So so in the sense of as long as we listen, scientists say as long as we keep talking about it and as long as we keep rehearsing our brains, thinking, 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 what actually happens at the time is we're releasing chemicals in our body. They're being released that moment and we are reliving that thing as if the first time it happened. That's why when you get in a fight with your spouse and you bring up something 13 years ago, all that stuff comes right back up. Right. Am i making sense. And I just think this, man, if we want to get free, we need to stop talking about it. We really need to trust God. We really need to say this. Come to an altar and say, God, here it is. I give it to you. And we need to quit taking two steps and going, ah. Take that back with me. Why? Because a lot of us have found our identity in our hurt. So we're afraid to leave it. Amen? So I just think this, man, if we're going to move forward we had to quit replaying it verbally and mentally. The third key is found in Ephesians 4.32. It says, but instead be kind and affectionate towards one another. It says, has God graciously forgiven you? Let's let those words settle in for a moment. I, I've talked to some of us in this room. I know myself. Man, has God graciously forgiven you? Some of us weren't that great of people. Right? But man, he forgave us because he loved us. Amen? So, so look at this next part. Then graciously forgive one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. you. You know, listen, I've learned something about Christians over the years. And it's this, include myself, is that as Christians, we love forgiveness until we have something to forgive. Y'all you get know what I mean by that? We want forgiveness, but if somebody does this wrong... No, thank you. But listen, if we're going to get free and stay free, if that wall is going to fall down, then number three, man, we need to choose, choose. We need to choose to forgive because forgiveness is like love. It's a choice. Amen. So listen, we don't wait for some goosebumps feelings. Woo! Today's the day to forgive. Doesn't work that way. That day doesn't come. But what happens is when we actually step out by faith and forgive, God releases the grace and allows us to forgive. Okay, but I want to notice something here before we move on. Notice that Paul didn't say, hey, forgive, and just go, okay, yeah, but you keep carrying it. No, no, he said you need to forgive in the same way that God forgave you. Same way. So how did God forgive us, gang? Does he come along and say, you know what, well, I'm going to hold these trespasses over you. I'm going to remind you every three weeks. Uh, if that's happened to you, that's the devil. Or you didn't really repent. One of the two. You'll have to work it out. Right? Does the enemy come along and say, you know what, man, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to blackmail you and I'm going to tell everybody what you've done. Does he do that? Some of y'all are unsure. We're going to help you out today. (laughs) Listen, the Bible says this, that when you have truly repented, man, that God chooses mercy. Right? And the Bible says he separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Anybody thankful for that? The Bible says that what when we repent, that he throws our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. Think about it. A God who knows everything chooses to forget the things that you've done against him. Wow. Right? So, in short, what I'm trying to say is this is God has led us off the hook. Whew. That's freedom, right? So listen, if we want to actually learn how to forgive like him then guess what? We need to start letting people off the hook, right? How many of you guys know that's easier said than done? Yeah, because part of us, why? We want vengeance. We want them to pay for what they've done for us or to us. And, And we got this thing in our head that if we choose to forgive, then somehow that's saying then what they did was right and okay. That's not how it works. You, you know, there's that old saying that says this, that, that basically unforgiveness is like basically drinking poison, but you expect the other person to get sick and die. Yeah. But the only person that's dying is you, right? So li- listen, I- I'll just say this. There's this parable in, the, in, in Matthew 18, and I don't have time to go through it all. But basically what happens is, is this man, he, he has loads of, loads of money he owes. And the king forgives him. And then he graciously thanks him, runs out the door and finds a guy that owes him a very, very small amount of money. And the Bible says, because that servant didn't have money to repay him, he got angry with him and he choked him, right? Most of us have read the story. And then what happens is, is the king finds out of what the man did. And he actually says this, that that man, uh, that the king actually comes to the man and says, why did you not forgive the way that I chose to forgive you? Man, can we hear the heart of the Lord today in that? Why did you not forgive the way that I chose to forgive you? Amen. <laughs> and I just think this, if you actually look in that story, what the outcome of that man's lack of forgiveness was, you find that the king actually turned him over to the torturers. And, and I just want us to understand today, is that not what happens when we choose to hold on to some offense? The person doesn't get tortured, we get tortured. Right. We put ourselves in bondage and we begin to be tortured with anxiety, with anger, with bitterness, with lack of peace, division. Right. We're the one living behind the wall. In fact, what happens is, is when you've learned to live like this, you build a wall here, you build a wall here, you build a wall here and you build a wall here. And you just, you're just trapped yeah. because you're offended at everybody because you know why? Because you just can't get over it. And who's miserable? And isn't those people, they're on the other side of the wall. They're in the open. You're the one in bondage. Right. And you're frustrated and you're depressed. That's all torture. And I'm just trying to say today, man, whatever it is, I understand there's some things that hurt deeply. Guys, I get that. I've had things happen to me that have not been easy to get over. But I've had to come to a point where I I value peace more than I value the desire uh, to get even. And I've had to say, God, I'm asking you. to to basically help me to forgive those people so god i let it go and i believe because i tell you i walked it out when i have let those things go man he's come with some incredible grace and mercy in his presence and he has changed my heart dramatically towards people it's amazing when you see someone where there's loads of walls up and then you see them and you're just like i just love you but see the key there is this so i can just kind of give you a bonus thing is everybody okay if i can just kind of give you a bonus thought I have never been able to have that moment with someone that I haven't prayed for. Right? Because what, ha- what happens is typically, I, you know, build a wall, right? Chris is on the other side, and I'm just angry. And I go, I don't even want to pray, with, pray for him. Don't even want to do it. It goes against Matthew 5, right? goes totally against Matthew 5. Go read it. And so, but what happens is, is when I go, okay... Because I try to have a heart posture that says this. I'll just I'll bring it real life real quick. We'll get practical. You know, I'll come in here, you know, I'm in here praying several times a week. And I'll come in here and I'll say this. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to pray about today? And I'll wait. And I can't tell you how many times that the Lord has brought somebody that's on the other side of that wall to me. And there's been times, because I'm like you, I got flesh too, that I go, uh eh. Not interested, Lord. Right? But I've walked with him long enough. I really don't do that anymore. Okay. In my younger years, I did. When, because now I know if the Lord's bringing somebody up, it's because he wants to do something. And so I don't pray like this. God, get Chris. <laughs> Lord, I ask for the fire of heaven to follow him and bring destruction on him and his family. Lord, you know what he did to me. God, he hurt me. God, I ask you to get him, right? Lord, I pray that you would strike that man with five years, no less than five years of just constant diarrhea. Right? In other words, God, it's not that. It's it's this. It's this. Here's what the Bible teaches us to do. Here's what Jesus said. Father, I thank you for Chris. Lord, I understand God, what happened between us, and it hurts. But Lord, today, in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive him. And Lord, I just pray today, God, that you would touch him, that you would touch Anna, that you would touch your boys. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, blessings upon their family. Lord, I know that you got a purpose and destiny for their life. God, I know you called them to greater things. So I'm asking for an increase of the anointing. Father, I pray, in the name of Jesus, you would meet every financial need. God, I pray that you would heal their bodies. God, whatever they're praying about, God, I come in agreement with you and with them. And I ask that you would move. I'm making sense. So, what I've learned over the years, if I can get my heart in a position to pray for them like I'd want to pray for me and my family, and how I'd want him to pray for me and my family, then guess what happens? Listen to me, every time, every time, the Lord goes, Quentin, you know why, there, why that happened, don't you? No, Lord, I don't. And he'll begin to show me things about those people that are beyond surface, surface level. And then I'll begin to see the heart of an individual, and he'll begin to show me things that have happened in their past. And I go, oh. That's why that happened. In other words, what happened is I might have said something and they responded because I hit some scab on them, some hurt. And then they responded out of that pain. And and then I responded out of my pain. And then we got unhealthy and we got a wall. Am I making any sense? And so what, what my point is, this is God helps me to have grace and compassion. And when he helps me to see them through his eyes, I go, mercy. God, don't hold it against him. God, forgive him. God, I ask that you wouldn't even bring it up with him. Right? Am I making sense? Let's go to the fourth and final one. Hopefully you're getting something out of this. The fourth key is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Guys, I know that's hard, but it works. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is really the heart of everything we're talking about here. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Does that describe anybody in here? Yes, Verse 18 says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of, highlight this word, reconciling people to him. This is for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. This is God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That seems like an odd passage to talk about in forgiveness. But here's the powerful truth and we'll be done. Is this, is the fourth thing we need to do is we need to choose to reconcile. We need to choose to reconcile. And the reason I'm saying that, and I'm going to shoot straight with you. Is if we cannot reconcile with our brother or sister in the Lord listen then how can we ever be effective or have the right to reconcile the lost to jesus christ as ministers of reconciliation i personally believe y'all hear me that when we let our hearts get full of bitterness we disqualify ourselves from the call of god right because we miss the heart of god in being reconcilers so listen with that being said i realize that romans 12 18 says this it says that basically you need to do it as it depends upon you in other words in other words, it takes two to make it go right. So when, for true reconciliation to happen, guess what? It, it does require both people, okay? And sometimes in life, the other person doesn't want to get with it, right? In other words, in other words, they think there needs to be nothing reconciled. They don't give a rip what they did. They just want to go on. Well, at that spot, guess what? Many times in my life, I have to go, let me do my part, and then I got to leave the part up to them, their part up to them. And I just know I'm right with God. I can move forward. Am I making sense? awesome so here's the goal though why do we reconcile because we need healing yeah. amen amen let's close our eyes and let's pray i really appreciate y'all listening to me today here's a question i want to ask I really got two questions today is there anyone in your world that you need to forgive today more than likely you have thought about that person as i've taught today But let's just give the Holy Spirit a brief second here. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to us. Is there anyone that we have become offended with and we've built a wall in between us and we're divided? And God, it doesn't please you. Is there anybody we need to get it right with today? Second thought I want to throw at you is this. is Jesus said in... Luke 17, 1, it said, basically It's impossible that offenses wouldn't come, but then he said this, But woe to him through whom they do come. Sometimes in life, guys, we uh, unintentionally, sometimes intentionally, we offend other people. And by doing so, we cause division in the body of Christ. And, uh, and I just want you to know today, man, if, if, that's, if that's you and that's where you're at today, that you know that you've offended someone by the way you've either acted or words that you've said, then, then maybe is there something there that you need to repent of and you need to get right with yourself? So Lord, would you please show us that if we've offended anyone, Lord, we reveal it to us in Jesus' name? So here's the goal in the verse we're gonna pray into. It says this in Colossians. Just keep your eyes closed. It says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. That's so what I want to pray about today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today, God, for your word. Lord, it is truly alive. And Lord, it's truly relatable and applicable to our lives. And so, Lord, today, I, we're just really asking, God, if there's a wall in between us and another brother and sister in the Lord, Lord, we're asking God that you would tear it down in Jesus' name. Father, the offenses and the hurt and the pain that we've held on to, God, even if it's terrible pain, Lord, we just choose today to forgive those people so we can be free lord we're we are so tired lord i really feel like there's some people in here that are just tired of being tormented and uh lord the truth is they've just been there way too long and uh lord they have ran on that hurt uh so long man they look like a like a hamster on one of those wheels running and they're just going nowhere so lord we just simply ask today uh, that you would allow that wheel to be broken Lord, that pattern to be broken. God, that mental replay and verbal replay to be broken. Father, we pray that we would begin to realize that we need to forgive just as you forgave us. God, we don't want to be people, God, who violate grace and violate mercy. Lord, we don't want to be people who are, you know, who have received something great from you, God, but refuse to give it to someone else. And so, Lord, uh, we just choose today, God, to forgive as you forgave us. God, we ask for grace to be able to do that in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray lastly, God, if we have somehow uh, you know, offended somebody else and we know it, Lord, would you give us the courage and the humility to be able to go and just get it right, to go and to confess our sins, God, so that we may be healed. Lord, we pray, God, that you would just show us, God, even, even if it's on this moment, Lord, throughout this week, God, I'm just asking, God, that you would show us, God, if any of this and where it's applicable in our life and, God, how we need to apply it. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be ministers of reconciliation. And, Lord, uh, the truth is we live in a place, God, that people need you. God, they need you. And, Lord, we don't need anything in our hearts that's hindering us from doing your work. And so, Lord, would you come and make our hearts pure, make our hearts clean. God, set our face again to the right purpose, set our face again to unity in the body of Christ. Lord, thank you for protecting us in this area, God, so we continue to grow and just uh, move forward in you. Father, we ask for these things today. In Jesus' name, amen.